Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan, and with me today we have Bill Graham. Woo! We also have Michael Snydell. Hello! Hello. And it is just the three of us today to talk about The Sisters Brothers, the newest film from director Jacques Audiard, who has previously done A Prophet, Rust and Bone, and Dupin. I think is how that's pronounced. Yeah. Cool. We'll go with that. That's his last one, yep. Yep. So the Sisters Brothers is out in limited release now. Stars a bunch of great actors. Can't wait to talk about it. But of course, we got to get through all the uh, the housework first. So let's dive in. <gasps> Find us on Twitter, at Film Stage Show. Facebook, search for The Film Stage Show. Find us on iTunes. Give us a comment and a rating. It really helps us out and helps more people find us. And of course, you can always email us your long-form thoughts podcast to thefilmstage.com. And don't forget to go to patreon.com slash thefilmstage and give us your money to get access to our Slack channel and be part of our raffles. <sighs> Just diving Ooh. through. All right. And of course, taking a breath, because this is going to be much longer, we're brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema where every day their fantastic curators find a new film that you're going to love to watch. That's a rotating selection of 30 films. You have 30 days to watch. Check it out. You can watch it on your smart TV, your iPhone if you're a monster, your laptop, your normal top computer, your PC (laughs) desktop. And yeah, let's talk about some of the movies that are out. First of all, Bill Graham, full name William Graham. This might yes. uh, appeal to you. Uh-oh. Manhunter by Michael Mann. Oh, yeah. I know, I know what this is talking about. Yeah. For Let's anyone see. who doesn't remember back when Hannibal was a thing, uh-huh. I always used to give Bill Graham shit for not going by Will, so we could call him Will Graham. Even Manhunter. though y'all did every single episode. <laughs> I had to. Mads Mikkelsen demanded it. Yes, I agree. Yes. Uh, so Manhunter by uh, Michael Mann. Not that kind of Manhunter. Uh-oh. Yeah. So this is a really good movie from the 80s. Um, check it out if you didn't get all of the subtle implications earlier. It is a Hannibal Lecter mystery. And um, it's really good. And it is now on movie. So check that out. Of course, there's everything we were talking about last well, week. Uh, well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> also, if you're a fan of uh, CSI, you can see uh, your, your, your boy in a really different role. So... There's always that. He's on CSI? <laughs> you didn't know that? William Peterson? I, yeah. I have yeah. seen maybe two episodes of CSI. He is, he is the CSI. Order. He is Mr. CSI. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is CSI the name of a person? Is that why it's called CSI? It's not quite no. too Yeah, he's, he's Christopher <laughs> Sherman Inglewood. <laughs> yeah no william peterson um also uh if you're a fan of face off or the Bourne films you've got joan allen in there 
Mm. Joan Allen is slumming it in CSI? No, no. idiot. We're talking about Manhunter. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> also, Brian Cox. I'm. You know what? This is so difficult because Michael didn't get the segue back to the original thing. Anyway, movie. It's awesome. Confuse your friends. See some people... 30 years ago you could be one of those great people that goes look how young he was (laughs) don't you love those people Uh, (laughs) anyway for a free 30-day trial (laughs) for a free 30-day trial of movie go to mubi.com slash film stage that might be one of my favorite jokes in fraser is like him talking about going to a repertory theater and like how much he hated sitting around like the older people because he's like Every time someone entered the screen, it was a chorus of, look at how young he was. He's dead, you know. (laughs) And that is 100% what actually happens. Um, I should know in a different way, because once again, as with um, Leave No Trace, I went and saw this movie, The Sisters Brothers, at the Prestige Art House Landmark Theater in Bethesda. Uh, Shout out, Uh great theater. However, I went... Four o'clock on a Saturday, when all of the older people were going to their post-dinner film before turning in, (laughs) before turning in for the night, (laughs) just as the sun went down. And it was just a chorus of, oh, who's that? What did he say? (laughs) But I won't let that affect my opinion of the movie. So here we are, talking about The Sisters Brothers, newest film from Jacques Audiard. It stars John C. Riley, Joaquin Phoenix, Riz Ahmed, and Jake Gyllenhaal, amongst a few others. And um, is out in theaters now, and we're here to talk about it. So here <laughs> is the trailer. Hey! This is The Sisters Brothers! You don't stand a chance! Charlie? Huh? We've had a good long run. We need to get out. We could open the store together. Store? This is nonsense. You walk in the front door and finish the job. All right. You're not going to like what comes next. Open your safe. That is the trailer for the Sisters Brothers. The synopsis of this movie. John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix play Eli and Charlie Sisters, a pair of guns for hire in the Western territories in the 1850s, who are hot on the trail of a chemist who has a formula that a man desperately wants, and they're uh, instructed to go and kill him. So let's talk about it. First of all, I want to know, um, what other movies from Jacques Audiard have y'all seen? I think I've seen Un Prophet. I think. It's the one where he's in the French prison? I think. Okay. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really weird because I think there was this one and then there was another one that was kind of set around mafioso, like... Uh, French era or French area mafiosos and Camorra. Yeah, that's a Italian, isn't it? Well, you know. Oh, you know Europe. <laughs> it's a, you know it's the a country language. of Europe. Uh, so yeah, I think maybe I've seen Gomorrah and not Un Profet, or maybe I've seen Un Profet and not Gomorrah. I can't remember. 
Well, it's a big thing about in Un Prophet, as, as Brian already said, is it's like, I mean, it's to be as reductive as possible. It's kind of a Godfather or Scorsese type story, but much of it takes place in a prison, like yes. at least an hour. So yeah. that's how you might also bill it's uh it's over two and a half hours long so oh well i i think the other one is too. <laughs> i know i know gamora's pretty long so yeah that's michael snydell are you certain that you have seen any of jean Cotillard's <laughs> movies yeah i i've seen uh a, a prophet and uh rust and bone um and a prophet i remember i like i, I have not seen it since the year it came, but was that maybe 2012? That, that was a while ago. No, now. this is saying 2009. Oh, okay, even longer than I thought. Yeah. So I don't know when I, it I came out that, in America. I think it was around that same time. Oh no, in the, in the yeah. U.S. it was released in 2010. Yeah, I probably saw it in 2010. Um, but yeah, I, it's a, it's a film I really like. I, I felt was very stylish, and I th- I'd, I'd be interested if I went back to it whether I'd still find it as distinctive um, as I do now. And Rustin Bone was, um, I think, kind of the first time that Matthias Schoenart, Schoenart, Schoenarts, <laughs> um, really mm-hmm. caught my caught my eye um, in something because I thought he was really fantastic in that. Um, that I'm, I'm a little bit more mixed on. But, yeah, I, I think Audiard has a very um, – I, I like his – at the way that he uses do genre trappings to kind of explore identity in, in like very tactile ways. Um, and I, I think this continues that I, I think sometimes he gets a little bit tangled up in his narratives that that's what I will say for all the films I've seen from him. Gotcha. I've seen a prophet and rust and bone and I have had, I've had a journey with this filmmaker because I hated a prophet. I saw it in the theater. I was, I won't say confused as to like what was happening, but I was deeply confused as to why I was watching it. Um, It's a very shaggy kind of like all encompassing character study without any real sense of like, from what I could tell, like clear, progression or like necessity or meaning and it like when i was done i was like well i feel like i know a lot about the french prison system and how they reward good behavior and uh the way that their parole system works but <laughs> i don't know what the deer meant and i don't really think that i care um and then rust and bone came out and i was like you know what you know what we're talking about on the podcast i gotta go see it i'm gonna go see it and rust and bone remains one of my favorite films of like the last 10 years. Um, I love it. Did you write about it? Did I? I don't know. Okay. That's a good question. Here's a fun <laughs> fact that uh, people who listen to this podcast may know. My, uh, my personal site got hacked and I've lost almost every bit of writing that I did on that site in the past like eight years. Oh, oh Brian. Shit. So maybe, maybe Rust and Bone is there. I'll uh, I'll take a look. Some of my Oof. stuff was held on the Internet Archive, and so if I can, I'll you pull and it Facebook. out. You were the same priority. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so did I write about it? Uncertain. Pretty sure we podcasted about it, and I was effusive in my praise. And that's a movie that, like a prophet, and and I'll and I'll just say, like the Sisters Brothers, has conservatively 17 acts (laughs) 
Uh, a prophet I had a problem with because I don't think I really cared about the characters that much. And I didn't find his like plight that interesting. Whereas Rust and Bone, when a lady gets her goddamn legs bit off by a killer whale, that's what we call uh, inherent tension. And I was fully on board to see what happens to her, what happens to Matthias Schoenarts, what happens to his child. You know, it's weird because like, People are like, that's the movie where the, the lady gets her legs bit off by the killer whale. It's like, yes, but it's also the one where she engages in like a purely physical relationship with a man because it helps her to like find her self-confidence again, where she learns to like face her fears and where she, um, oh, by the way, while well, that was happening, he's trying to become a bare knuckle boxer and uh, reconnect with his son and provide for his family and work out on his relationship with her. And then, and so like, it's, it's a crazy impossible movie because if you were to give a log line, it would only encompass maybe the first 30 minutes of a two-hour-long film. And that is a really good way to segue into The Sisters Brothers. <laughs> so let's see what we all thought of this movie. Uh, let's start with Michael Snydell. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I didn't love this one, but I found the further that it went, the more I realized that there was um, something more going on. I, as I, I already said about... Uh, Jacques Audiard, like he's a he's a filmmaker, I think. Who it's very interesting. You're talking about this uh, this idea of, of shagginess and and like a sense of sense of meaning because a, a lot of times I think that he he has fantastic people in front of and behind the camera. And I, I want to give a major shout out to Benway uh, Tabi, who's the cinematographer on this, who's the regular Gasper Noe cinematographer, which makes a lot more sense as I think about it. Um, and he also did Spring Breakers and Lost River and a number of films that are just like, you know, are really very much experiences when it comes to their cinematography. Uh, and, and this film as well, I, I think, has this like very um, burnished feel, but it's, it's also very ethereal. And, and the way that it plays in between those is uh, really interesting. As far as... You know, it, this is a, a bifurcated structure uh, between two sets of characters, and um, one of those stories I didn't I didn't like that much. But then, I don't know. Around like the midpoint of this, I, I started realizing that uh, I, again that I, I liked I, the humor started falling into place for me. The the relationships it got this really nice kind of hangout vibe. There was a, a real, um, real powerful sense of melancholy that kind of runs through, especially the second half. Um, and I, I just found by the end that I was kind of taken by a lot of this movie, even as I think a lot of it is just kind of really, um, I don't know, like gaseous. Like there's something, there's something very distinctly European about its approach to the Western. Like at, at any given time, you know, it reminds me of, you know, John Hillcoat or like uh, Nick Cave would write a song about these characters. But then, but then again, it, it also seems like something like Vim Vendors. Like, like there's something um, very searching and indistinct and kind of elliptical and episodic about the film. And, you know, sometimes that kind of bothered me, especially when you have like super pokey accents from Jake Gyllenhaal. But um, for the most part, though, I I don't know. I, I think this is going to stay with me longer than I expected because there there are a few 
great scenes and you know even when people are like Joaquin Phoenix almost feel miscast like they still give me one or two scenes where that remind me that they're you know some of the best actors in Hollywood so why else would they cast him as the Joker (laughs) sure Uh, you know what I'm I I really wish that wasn't Todd Phillips because I think I'd almost be into it if it wasn't Todd Phillips (laughs) is he was he tossed around when Nolan cast what's his face Heath Ledger Uh, was Joaquin I think so yeah it really feels Uh, like he probably was was Scorsese once attached to this Joker film? Am I making that up? He's Wasn't that like producing it? Isn't producing he? it? Yeah, he's a producer. Wasn't he attached as a director at some point? I don't think no. he ever was. No. I think people okay. just kept calling it Scorsese's Joker film because that holds more like clickbaitability than Todd yeah. Phillips's Joker, Joker film. <laughs> All you have to do is just say Scorsese behind next Joker film, and people's hair just lights immediately on fire. It yeah. spontaneously combusts. So, right. I, sorry. Final things I just want to say is, yeah, I don't think this movie really coheres, but it, it looks really nice. The performances are really good, and you know, there's a selection of good scenes, even if it doesn't quite make a full film. All right, Bill Graham. So one thing that immediately struck me with this film, and I enjoyed it for the most part, and I'll say that outright, um, but one thing that struck me that I was having a hard time kind of figuring out is that Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley's characters, the way they talk to each other is very modern in the style of the language, but it's also in kind of... At first, I thought it was almost Shakespearean in how they continuously talk to each other. There's very little dead space when they're on screen um, or uh, dead air when they're on screen. But then you contrast it with the characters that are played by um, Jake Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmed, and they're talking almost in a way that that fits the time period. I I was struck by that. I don't know if maybe they got different scripts or what was going on there, but there was definitely like a a little bit of a language clash when I was listening to how they talk to each other. And, um, it's funny because John C. Riley and, and Joaquin Phoenix, their characters are kind of nitpicky with each other. And, that makes sense considering they're brothers and they have a long history together and everything like that. The film for the most part feels it. It starts off with really a bang. I love that opening sequence. It's, it's pretty magical. And then it kind of slows down and towards the middle, it gets really saggy. And then at the end, it, kind of picks up steam a a little bit and it becomes a very character-driven kind of discovery film in a way where you really start to learn about these characters you really start to dig in and you really start to have a little bit more fun um and i appreciated that it it kind of went through that process but i'm not sure if if those two hours are necessarily all necessary, I think at some points, like I said, it gets a little shaggy towards the middle, but there, there are some definite moments in this film that are, that are definitely going to stick with me. Like, like Michael was saying, 
And I'm, I'm surprised by that. I didn't know what to kind of expect from this film. I hadn't heard much of anything. I tried to kind of, anytime I, I go see movies like this where we just kind of pick it on a, I mean, y'all have a little bit more input. Y'all are like, Hey, we're doing sisters brothers. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is, but let's do it. (laughs) So, and look like that's a, that's a good way to see a movie. Um, but it also means that you don't know what the hell to expect going in. And so the first kind of 20 minutes are always kind of an orientation and you're just kind of trying to figure out what's going on in this film and, and how dark it is. And I was also struck by that. Um, they point blank kill a lot of people in this film and it's, it's unmerciless and it's almost played for laughs in a way at times and I found kind of the humor that this film finds interesting in that it almost doesn't realize how dark it is, but it still has a lot of fun. There's there's a lot of moments that kind of remind me of of just slapsticky comedy, but like we actually see the real life violence and results of it. And so it's it's interesting balance. Um ultimately what what do i make of that i'm not sure westerns are tough especially in the modern age when we're so used to cityscapes and and bright lights and everything like that and we get we get these kind of films these prestige uh westerns you know maybe a handful every year and i think i think this film has something for probably not a lot of audiences, but it has something for, for people that can really kind of sink their teeth in and, and really get behind a character study like this. And I think I think there's something worth exploring. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to it and uh, about it and, and seeing what everybody else thinks. So I am um, I'm still not sure if I actually like this movie. Yeah, I uh, yeah. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. I didn't like I didn't have the immediate like what the hell am I still doing in this theater that I did for a profit? Maybe because this is like a half hour less movie to deal with. Um <laughs> Hi Bill. I, I'm sorry, what? I said hi Bill. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um but I think it's it's weird though, because I feel like this and Rust and Bone were both like about two hours on the button and I'm wondering if that is that kind of thing where it's like, you know, like, uh, like this in this amount is good. Like it, like it tests me, but it doesn't like make me go overboard and like maybe too much of it is too much. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but you know, I, I love Westerns, you know, like I see a Western coming out and I'm going to see that Western, you know, put a man on a horse with a gun and you've already got my money. Um, this time they put two men on horses with multiple guns <laughs> and those are two actors that I love. I was eager to see Jake Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmed reunited and it feels so good after Nightcrawler. Um, <laughs> oh shit, I didn't, I didn't, damn, I didn't even fucking realize that. Wow. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm a dumb dumb. Oh well. <laughs> it's cool. You're fine. Um, but yeah, I like, and so I'm sitting there and it was, it was kind of weird cause I was really enjoying everything that was happening between Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmed. And I don't know if it was because 
of their characters or their dialogue or like just the chemistry that those two actors have in terms of like sitting in a crappy diner slash mess tent and like talking about stuff. Um, but I liked it. I liked it a lot. And I liked how like this, this infectious energy that Riz Ahmed has like reaches through to, to Jake Gyllenhaal. And like, for some reason I feel like in attempting to subvert or otherwise like do differently, the usual energy of like two brothers who are gunslingers, I I found myself like really at odds with everything that was happening between Eli and Charlie. And that persisted the more the movie went on. And, you know, in that trailer, you, you have this gunfight that's going on and then you hear them having a conversation. But in this movie, like everything is kind of split up. Like they're either like, it doesn't happen like it happens in the trailer. Spoiler alert, I guess. But like, it's just... I don't know. There was something, there was like a dynamic missing. There was some sort of spark missing from this like inherently interesting though, like perhaps rote idea that they had. And I don't feel like the movie in my eyes ever really recovered from trying to, to do that differently. Uh And so I don't know, like there was a point maybe in the middle, maybe a little afterwards where I was like really on board and I like kind of found my groove with it. And then you know, not going to get into spoilers, but like dynamics change, you know, plot happens. And then I was just like, well, what, but what, what happens now? Like, what am I, what am I still doing here? Like, why am I still watching these people? And I don't, I don't really know if the movie ever like really answered that question for me to a satisfactory degree. Mm. And so I, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, it sucks that we all are about to say the same thing, but like there are things in this movie that have really stayed with me, but then there's a lot of other stuff where I was like, you know, maybe we could have just like fleshed that out a bit more and like trimmed back on some other stuff. Like again, it's like a 17 act movie sure, and it's two hours. And so every once in a while, one act is going to last for like four minutes and one act will last for like 10 to 15 minutes. And it just doesn't need that. Wasn't that a characteristic in Rustin? But I haven't seen Rustin Bone in a very long time, so I'm asking because I'm assuming you've seen it more recently. But is that a characteristic in Rustin Bone as well? I feel like it is, but again, I feel like Rustin Bone has like this very—it's like like there's a through line of the romance or the whatever you want to call it between these two characters that I was able to feel more palpably. And with less distraction than whatever was happening between Eli and Charlie, you know? So there's, like, there's definitely a strong metaphor in, in rust and bone that it then like, you know, expands upon. Yes. Like that's, that's not here. Right. And so like, no matter what's happening in rust and bone, like even if they had like taken 40 minutes to like, you know, explain some obscure French game to me and then just show them like training for it just so they could get money to do the thing they actually wanted to do. I'd still say to myself, like, but I'm still getting to see Marion Cotillard and Thais Schoenarts like hanging out and like building this relationship. And I feel like Eli and Charlie, they come to like impasses all the time. And then just like, it doesn't, nothing changes, nothing happens. Like there was a point at which I legitimately thought that they'd like broken up, but then they, they weren't like the neck, it does a cut. And they're like both riding along a picturesque ridge of like the Pacific Northwest. And I was like, Oh, I guess guess they're back on you know so i don't know i feel like i don't know 
someone, I think it was Michael, said that uh, Joaquin Phoenix felt miscast. And um, maybe that's it. Because, like, I really empathize a lot with John C. Riley's character. Like, I loved his little thing with the shawl. I loved him discovering a toothbrush. <laughs> and, like, then seeing someone else using a toothbrush. And obviously, like, that he was, was so was excited to just have, like, this weird connection with someone. Just like, hey, you hopped on the train too, huh? Like, <laughs> things like that are what I want from this movie. And it just feels weird that, like, there were parts that felt like they were trying to give it to me. And then when I, like, picked it up, I realized that it was, like, just a picture of it. When when he said when he's introduced to the toothbrush, I really wanted him to say, "Shouldn't it be teeth brush?" And <laughs> and he doesn't. And I was like, "No, you can't give me all of this like little dialogue that they keep having him and and his brother keep having about like specific words and all of this stuff." And at some point, I think uh, so. Joaquin Phoenix says, "What a pompous asshole about the thing that someone else says in like a note." Yeah, and and it's just like, yeah, you can't you can't have him introduced to a toothbrush and be like, "Shouldn't it be teeth brush?" <laughs> like I was just, just waiting like the, for it. The nineteenth century version of oh god, they're really calling it the iPad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, th- sorry, that was a digression, but yeah. <laughs> Brian, I, I, I think that I, I'm still thinking about this. And it's, I'm going to say something like relatively contradictory here okay. that goes along a little bit with what Bill was saying here and in the idea that I think that when both of these groups, I, I, I say duo, I should say duos are together. Couples. I think that the I think that the thesis of the film makes a lot more sense to me. But when you then spend time specifically with Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley's character, they start to seem more like um, worldviews rather than actual characters. Like there's like a, I feel almost like a, and this doesn't bother me the way I thought it was going to, you know, I, I heard revisionist Western thrown around a lot with that. And that always makes me, you know, uh, you know, curl my eyebrow a bit. I, I get a little bit worried when I hear a vision. I don't really ever know time. what to like make of that term. Well, I, I to me, I think least... people make shit up. <laughs> like I do. It's like, I do it. It's like that whole concept <laughs> of like elevated horror. Like at this yeah, point, sure. I feel like most every Western we've gotten recently could be quantified as revisionist. I, I don't quite think so. Cause I think like, well, I think something like, it's specifically things that deal with meta and, and things that seem almost postmodern. And that is the thing that I was trying to say about John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix's character in the sense that you have like the old West and the new West literally in two characters. Mm-hmm. And like, it's weird because we've seen that we've totally seen that um, dynamic, you know, even in Deadwood, when you think about uh, John Hawks. Yeah. John Hawks. Yes. John Hawks yes. character and Timothy Oliphant. Like, like we've seen this dynamic before, but it's, so much more like a sketch here and so much more blunt and just like oddly colored in here in a way that I think that the Riz Ahmed and Jake Gyllenhaal does feel like really earnest. Um, I, and it's, it's weird because I, I think that they very much want to, I think the problem is they want to tell that story of these two duos, but they also want to tell a story about, you know, sticking with family and, you know, with your brother, even when he's a massive piece of shit who ruins your chance at like a, a better life. Like, like there is, 
those are like warring ideas though. And that, as you were saying, Brian, like that's one of, that's like two of 12 other threads in the movie. Mm. But like, that's at least what I saw is I, I was feeling like the duo conversation or excuse me, the two, Oh boy. Okay. The two duos and the brothers, that's what the problem was for me is that when you focus only on the brothers, that they are, meant to very specifically only be this conflict. And you saw mm-hmm. very few times where like it would make sense that John C. Riley would stay. I mean, I think I can, re- I think I can probably pinpoint the exact moment you're talking about where you oh, were yeah. surprised they were still together. <laughs> it's just, and like, uh, and like obviously like when it, it cuts does, and it, it shows like them a- together, I was like, okay, yeah, they're still together. But like, it just, sure. it felt like that was finally the blow up that would require more and like maybe contextualize all the other mini blowups we'd seen, but it sort of resolved just as fast as all the other ones, you know. Instead, Which, we like, get we get twenty minutes of other stuff, and it's like, why didn't you spend like five, like extend that sequence, please? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And yeah, um, I, I, oh, I'm sorry, Michael. Go ahead. No, I I was just gonna say I, I I'd be curious what you guys are talking about with the middle. Because Bill was saying it's kind of saggy. Because if we're, yeah, I, I guess that's spoilers. <laughs> but yeah, I'd be curious what you guys are talking about the middle, or what, I want to talk specifically. I guess what about what parts engaged you guys the most? Yeah, and we could do that once we're in spoilers, and um, yeah, sure. we, could, we could get there pretty quickly. But I just want to say, like, I um, I, for whatever reason, even though the movie was clearly working in a very bifurcated way, like, you know, we, we get these narrations that are just diary entries from Jake Gyllenhaal's character and Riz Ahmed like talks him into a concept and like an idea that seems very far out there. And like Jake Gyllenhaal has like a kind of, you know, Freudian psychological breakthrough. And like, I really, (laughs) I really wanted more from them to bolster those changes and those ideas. And it was weird because I had two characters who were so static that we were spending so much time with and two characters that went through like dynamic changes that I felt like we didn't spend as much time with. And it was just kind of shocking to me that the movie would, would make that choice. Does that make sense? Yeah, I certainly think it's intentional, but I agree completely. Yeah. And I mean, it it may very well be intentional. And in that case, you know, congratulations, movie. You apportioned the time in the way that you wanted to. I just don't know that for me, it was a satisfying (laughs) narrative decision. Um, But yeah, the cinematography and the music is really good. Uh Yeah, Desplat. Desplat. He's a good man. Um, Bill, any final thoughts before we get into spoilers? Spiders, man. Oh, spiders. Yeah. Gross. So, spoilers for the Sisters Brothers. Um, John C. Riley gets a spider nest in his mouth. Um, Did you guys have a science teacher who told you that you swallow like 10 spiders a year? I've had both a science teacher and a series of drunks and stoners who've all told me that. (laughs) Yes. I have to say though, in sixth and seventh grade, hearing that that's that's scarring for a few weeks. <laughs> oh, it's, think, it's pretty convincing because you're like, yeah, like I've seen I've seen grown adults like you know you, you everybody's seen like grandpa and grandma like storing with their mouth open, and you're like, but 
but nobody else you know sleeps like that and so you're just like i guess it only happens to old people <laughs> see i didn't have an issue with it i was like well i'm asleep i'm still yeah. alive so if it ha- if it's been happening since before i learned about this i guess i really don't have any reason to be concerned yeah. this movie Tarantula proves it <laughs> yeah maybe they're mainly uh wolf spiders and like jumping spiders so you know, tiny, whatever little tiny spiders that like are so small they're less than a tic tac but this was like a full-on fucking tarantula um <laughs> yeah it was it was a juicy one as as uh timon and pumba might say i just sw- saw Ooh, a little cream filled kind yeah yeah <laughs> what was i gonna say um so just for me um when I said the middle, I don't I don't actually know when this happens in the movie in terms of like temporal reality, but when the two the two groups of men finally converge and we have this like idyllic sequence of like them trying to form a community in brotherhood. Like I enjoyed that a lot. That was my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And and I I really wanted the movie to like stick with that and like maybe like it's working and then the Commodore sends more men after them. And then it's like every once in a while, even like the civilized must like find their feral nature again in order to protect that, which they've created. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they transform Riz and, and uh, what is his name? Morris or yeah. Morrison or something like that. Um, John maybe Morris. they kind of transform them a little bit because obviously like uh, John Morris was not interested in like, killing or torturing Riz Ahmed's character. That's the whole yeah, point no. of the movie. Yeah. He's is, like a detective. Is, He's just there to like yeah. find him and sit on him. Yes. And so y- you get the sense that maybe he doesn't really want to get his hands dirty. Although, you know, when the bad guys show up and you know, who, who are the bad guys in this film? I don't know. But, um, when the guys in, uh, coon hats, uh, oh, yeah, the, show the, up, uh, the raccoon skin hats people, those are the people from Mayfield. Yes. Where they and, drink Mayfield and the town is run by Mayfield. Yeah. What a bizarre thing. What was that? What? Allison Tolman is so good in that one scene. Yeah. She really is. Yeah. What a, um, what a beautiful but bizarre like diversion for this movie to take sure. to go to this town of Mayfield. Yeah. A number of them. There's that dream sequence too. There's There's a number of just like – you know, I don't quite think they fit in the scripts, but they're, you know, really beguiling <laughs> images. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think going back to, to kind of what Brian said, though, I think it, it and it is kind of the last last half of the last act, I guess. I, I, I don't know where the fuck this thing takes place. But when Riz Ahmed and John C. Riley are having a conversation about like john's father and everything like that Mm. like i was really struck by that but i was also struck by just the conversation between joaquin phoenix and jake gyllenhaal and kind of the tension the inherent tension there and just the fact that like they're not supposed to really like each other but they just went through this experience that's brought them all together and they're realizing like hmm and and I think at one point Riz Ahmed says, yeah, I had this conversation with, with Morris about why he was doing this to me. And he was basically like he was just looking for an adventure. He was lost. And this was a good way to kind of have an adventure. It wasn't anything personal against Riz Ahmed or anything like that. And – I feel like that's kind of the same thing. There's an inherent violence to 
Joaquin Phoenix's character, but I feel like it's tamped down by the end of this film in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, I, I think that's – yeah, that's a really interesting scene. I, I mean even – Bill, sorry, that's just in the same conversation, so I wanted to mention it. Is yeah. Even Herman saying to John C. Riley's character like, oh, it doesn't seem like he's going to kill us as much. And it's like <laughs> partly played as a laugh line, but yeah. it also like – says a lot about just yeah the what is just like to be with people for a long amount of time and that mm-hmm. that is one thing that i think this film is a, a lot of this film is about isolation like you even think about when um you know the the sisters brothers go to a new town like even when they go into a bar like everyone scatters like they're constantly alone like when they go to even like the prostitution scene is such like a, a, a lonely scene where it's just like an opium den, you mm-hmm. know, shot with like a, with like neon. But like it's it, it's still something that uh, it's a mood throughout this film that I think is really powerful. Even if I wish it would have harnessed it into something else. Mm-hmm. I found the, a sequence pretty early on when they're in the the Commodore's town or. or wherever that is in in oregon um they basically shut down a bar and i was like this is such an interesting like dynamic because someone basically tries to walk into the bar and they're like no 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 get the fuck out of here we're not done we're not done yeah Yeah. and it's like it's like is is that something that happened i mean i guess if you play pay the bartender enough like you can just be like hey this is our bar we don't want to watch how we talk and who we talk to. Well, so we're just going to talk. It talk seems like the Commodore other. sort of like owns that town. And these I, two yeah. appear to be like his right hand men. So like, it's kind of, yeah, I get, you know, if, if you were to, like, I guess if Donald Trump Jr. went into a bar, they might close it down. Like, I don't know, like a good, a good analogy, but like, yeah, it just seems like set that bar on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag light that shark on fire. Um, yes. What was I going to say? Yeah, I don't know a good analogy for it, but it is like, all right, well, you know, the guy who owns this goddamn town, who like is probably the man who employs everyone, like his right hand yeah, men are in it, there. So like, let's not fuck with it. We can wait 15 sure. minutes for our whiskey. The, the raccoon hat people in Mayfield probably shut down the bar. You know, they yeah. they probably were like, all right, you know, uh, I I don't know. I feel weird saying whores, but that's kind of what they are. Uh, Sex workers, I guess, is the way to... Yeah, pro- that's what we're calling them now, right? I'm not trying to be dismissive. I, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, you know, they would probably be like, all right, let's get the women, and then uh, the bar's closed for the night. And just like, oh, okay. And, you know, some some dude, random dude, tries to come in, and they're like, they just all, like, turn to him, and they're like, bar's closed, and it's like... Is there a sign? How am I supposed to know this? Like, can you lock the door? <laughs> the lack of piano music. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think yeah. about Deadwood, how that, that would happen. Like, Al would sure. basically clear his bar out when he had to talk to Dan and, and Johnny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I apparently remember uh, tertiary characters' names from Deadwood. I mean, Dan, Dan and Dory. Johnny are pretty big characters. <laughs> I guess, but they're not like, you know, they're not Al, you know? Sure. They're, not, sure. they're not Cy Tolliver. They're not Saul Star. Wild Bill, Calamity, Jane. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I mean, like, and that's that's kind of the thing that that bugged me because, like, they're they're spending all this time elucidating these ideas and kind of like 
catalyzing a lot of what we've seen in the movie. You know, we're talking about the isolation of the sisters brothers and sure. the the desire to like use the freedom of the West and like the encroachment of science and technology to like build a better society. And then they fucking die. <laughs> um and then it and then stuff just keeps happening for a while. And you've got this like run and gun sequence, you know, where the sisters brothers are trying to stay alive as the Commodore sends his, his new men after them. And I don't know, like, I just, I don't like, it, it just felt like, okay, the movie, like when they find him and decide to start a society, the movie could end, or you could watch yes. them create the society and then the movie could end, or they could die in a horrible accident and then the movie could end. And then, uh, but it just keeps happening. And I just, there was a point, maybe I just need to watch it again because I just kept feeling the, the story sure. resolve itself and then continue. And that could just be my fault for not knowing what the hell, where it was going. You know, I, again, I think that's like very European though. Like I already mentioned Vim vendors. Like I was thinking of Paris, Texas in uh -huh, relation uh -huh. to some of this, some of these ending scenes. And like, you know, I, I have to admit, I was really kind of getting choked up when Riz Ahmed and Jake Gyllenhaal's characters like are just suffering and then die. And then the, the scene with Joaquin Phoenix where he has the blanket over himself for a little while, like is a, it's a really great piece of acting. Like yeah. after he gets his arm amputated is a great piece of acting. John C. Riley punching, <laughs> punching a corpse. A corpse is like oh, a wonderful God. piece. The Carol Kane who just like, who's their mother like that last sequence is beautifully shot like i was yeah. thinking about assassination of a jesse james like, mm -hmm. like I, on one hand i agree with you but on the other hand i was just like i liked but that's and that's that my like luxuriating <laughs> like almost like leave no leave no trace is what it reminded me of also a little bit and that's bit. kind of my There's, problem is that like i i want to like i want to say like this movie doesn't know when to end blah 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 but at the same time like I wouldn't not to have I wouldn't want to have not seen that like final I guess it's probably stitched together like one shot tracking thing of them like just finding themselves back in their home and like sure cleaning up and him laying down in his childhood bed and his feet are too big for it like you know like that's some beautiful shit but like yeah I just it's hard to like then have to like remember where the movie started and be like but what does it sure. all mean like what is it like so what is it saying like that the brutishness of of the old america staunched out whatever hope there was for a better america and then when we got tired we just went back to a, a concept of home that we no longer actually fit in like you know someone out there is banging their head against the wall trying to make that like a trump narrative about make america great again and like it's just but part of me really just wanted a simple funny western about the sisters brothers tracking down this guy with his gold finding formula you know wasn't that basically slow west like slow west was kind of a well, actually that had some darkness too as i think about it yeah a i love slow west but and that and that's the crazy thing is like you know you want to talk about like movies that end a lot um i remember being in the theater when i saw the lives of others and that movie has like three different postscripts and i remember the last one when it said like, you know, seven years later after it had said like two months later and then four years later and like the last subtitle came up saying like however many years later and people in my theater laughed 
Because they were like, it's like just been like 15 minutes of every five minutes, another time jump. But when he, spoilers for the lives of others, I guess, picks up that book, sees the inscription, brings it up front. The guy asks him if he wants it wrapped and he says, no, it's for me. Like, I was bawling in that fucking theater. Like, because all of those postscripts fed into a very clear, meaningful, and emotionally tied theme that had been running through the whole damn movie and this one was just so weird and so strange that i like again i just need i guess i just need to see it again and like that's the thing i i don't want to come off and just say like i didn't like this movie and i feel like i haven't said those words without many amendments afterwards but like i have to be honest that like my first reaction to this was like well what the goddamn hell was that jacques (laughs) Come on, like, don't profit me again. Give me that rust and bone. Give me that good stuff that I know you can do. <laughs> and I think it really is just like, without the, without like the very easy to understand attraction between a man and a woman and her not having her legs, like without those super obvious obstacles to surmount that can keep me grounded and understanding where the story is going and what it's doing it becomes harder up front to just know what I'm supposed to be getting out of a movie. Like a movie at least as languid as this. Yeah. If that makes sense. I, I think too, I, I don't think it, it, I mean, we've already talked about how this is just kind of overloaded, but I mean, I think some of this is just over-directed too without really bringing in that meaning or without bringing in that metaphor. Like it's just... I, there's a certain part of me that thinks, I, I mean, even from a, a script angle, that uh, what happens to Risen, Jake Gyllenhaal, is kind of needlessly cruel, as you already kind of saying. Right. Right? It's, like, it's, something... it, it's also really fucking dumb. Like, look, I understand that um, uh, what's his fa- Joaquin Phoenix's character is supposed to be kind of a drunk and supposed to be an asshole and violent, but we never really see him be a dumbass. And like, they're they're sh- like at one point they show Rizamed's legs and it's all like jacked up, and you're like, oh okay, so whatever they're using is really fucking up their skin. And he even mentions, Hey, we got to do this. We got to put all of this stuff all over our legs that way. And if it starts burning, like, like there's very clear and present instructions about like how to handle this stuff. And then what does Joaquin Phoenix do? He, a stays in the thing a little bit too long. Right. And B, he grabs the giant tanker of it and just decides, Nah, fuck it. I'm going to dump this whole fucking thing in there. And whoops, I'm on a giant log. I slipped and fell. And now it's on me. Now it's in the water. Now it's all over them. And you're just like, hold on. He's been alive through all these fucking gunfights. And he hasn't like fallen off a horse and like <laughs> hit his head against something. He did or fall done off something. a horse though. He, he does fall. But what but I'm he was saying drunk. is. But what I'm saying is, is he didn't fall off a horse on a mountain or something like that. Some, some dumb situation where it's like, yeah, you did something dumb and then you paid the cost. Like, like he should be clumsy foreshadowing or anything. Right. And it it, it was to the point that I, you know, just to, here's a moment of humanity from me, the infallible leader of this group. Like I was legitimately confused as to what he was doing. 
<laughs> like he yeah. he said um like you know he he runs out of the water um because like the glow is going away and he's like still burning and he picks up the thing and i swear to god i thought he said like we have to get rid of it or something Mm-mm. and i no. thought like i like i couldn't i you know he's joaquin phoenix so yeah. it's sometimes hard oh. to hear what he's saying yeah. and like <laughs> he's he's a step below uh what's his face tom hardy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so like i didn't know what he was doing and so i was like is he gonna pour more in the water or is he like this stuff burns i hate it i want it away from me and then like he trips and falls and burns his arm and then like kills the two guys and it it really was like just I guess like if if that had to happen, I wish I guess that, you know Bill either that they like just set up the clumsiness or that like I had a greater concept of what he was doing and why he was doing it. Like because yeah, they'd stolen a shit ton again. of money, you know, and and it it didn't seem like money was his primary motivator. It was like the fame, and he everywhere he went, he was like, "We're the sisters, brothers. Wait for applause." And then, and then, like, they're pulling the gold out to, like, you know, s- make this new society. And, like, there hadn't really been a point where he seemed see to, like... the size of those fucking nuggets? Those are some, those those are some big nugs. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like it was trying to go for, like, kind of a Treasury of Sierra Madre vibe. And, like, yeah, I, I mean, I will agree that, like, I, I think it's rushed. And it is certainly a question of what he wanted. But, like, I kind of think Joaquin sells that moment... Um, even as it doesn't really make sense. Like, I, I think just how, like, rabid and his just, like, crazy unhinged physical performance it kind of makes that scene work for me. And I can, I mean, you even see, I mean, if we're talking about foreshadowing, we're seeing it a little bit in that everyone is getting out of the water except him. Like, this idea of just almost, <laughs> you know, he's got gold madness. <laughs> like, But, I mean, I guess I just wish that it was motivated by, like, you know, okay, so like no one is a bigger Jesus freak than someone who used to be an atheist. Um and so I guess I kind of wish that like that was his motivation. Like, you know, he used to be a guy who was like I don't need no society, like there's no place for me, and now he's been shown that like people can care about him and maybe he can create a better society where he can find a place. And so like mm-hmm. he freaked out at the thought of not having enough gold to make that society, so he like was overzealous and ended up murdering everyone through like because even though they had like redirected his greed and his impulsiveness like it still existed within him but like it really did seem like he was just like oh man it's like there's, but there's still more gold in there it's like you know you got a shit ton of money already you robbed all of mayfield hmm? you know like what why when money has never seemed to have been a truly motivating factor for him previously uh-huh. like uh-huh. what was it that suddenly flipped in him by the way, I'm mad that Tainted Love wasn't in the actual movie. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to actually start the review by saying I hope you didn't enjoy Tainted Love too much because it's not in this movie. Um, but the music was good, and and I liked I liked what was going on, so I didn't really mind that much. Yeah, I I, I found a I found that moment really just kind of stuck out with me, and and you know we do have a habit of of kind of nitpicking small little details like this but i feel like this is not a small detail because it has such giant repercussions that it's like okay what is the instigating factor joaquin phoenix just suddenly decides i want more 
And it's just like, right. when, when, do, when, like, at what point do we establish that? And earlier, and I'm not sure if it's the same night, he like scolds them because they're laughing and having a good time because they can't go to bed and he's supposed to be doing like first watch or something like that. And they're all sharing a bottle of, of some kind of alcohol, some kind of like, it looked like Rose, but I don't think it's Rose, <laughs> but, Rose. <laughs> but like it, it, they're all sharing a bottle of alcohol, but it's between Riz Ahmed Jake Gyllenhaal and John C. Riley that the bottle is being passed around while Joaquin Phoenix is sitting kind of off to the side a little bit. And I was like, okay, so I guess maybe they're like, they're getting drunk without him. Right. And maybe that would have been a good time to have him start drinking heavy and then make that dumb mistake. And then, okay, I see it. But for them to specifically shoot that sequence where it's it looks like they three are passing the bottle and he's not partaking of it because he's kind of like you know grumpy gills over there because he wanted to do first watch and they're all like <laughs> we're making a bunch of noise and like you know poking the fire and it's like you fuckers are supposed to be in bed like what are you guys doing <laughs> right he's like so, i'm supposed to be protecting you you're but you're like still awake and they're like you know forget it charlie like come down and hang out like we're just having a yeah. good time we can't sleep we're too excited and and if they had shown him taking a part of like that fun and having having some alcohol maybe i see that sequence happening right or, or but, even like i said just like you don't even need the alcohol you just need like him fully embracing the idea of what they're creating sure, and then being sure. too overzealous and like and yes we sometimes nitpick too much on this show if you can believe it um a movie <laughs> podcast might fixate on something and talk about it too long but this yeah. really does get to the heart of like my 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 lack of immediate enthusiasm for this movie just because I'm trying to understand what it wants from me and I can't figure it out. And a big part of that is just that like these moments that feel like they should take up so much longer and like, let us live in them more to understand the moment seem to like go by so quickly. And, and, and that's it weird goes back because it goes, it goes back to that brother sequence that you were talking about where it feels like that that was a breakup sequence. And then all of a sudden we get like this weird voiceover slash like like I don't I don't even know what the fuck it was. It was like an interlude of like uh, Joaquin Phoenix speaking directly towards the ca- towards the camera in like a different outfit and telling us what happened. And then it like cuts to them like riding off into the distance and you're like what the fuck you can't give me more than that you know so yeah yeah and um but but again like despite despite these issues like i'd still be interested in going back and seeing this movie it was funny though because like i did i came home my wife was like you know how was the movie and i was like you know Jacques, uh you know he just like you know why why make one of his movies like six acts when it could be 17 you know that's kind of his approach (laughs) and like i love a movie that like doesn't adhere to a strict like rising action climax falling action denouement type of thing like that's fine with me but like you really gotta like parcel out what's important to the story and so like i i did some like reading of reviews and stuff and it didn't help, you know? It was just, it, it kind of felt like people who realized that, like, they were writing a review and so they had to, like, 
trend towards more where they were they what they were feeling because they seem to have a lot of the same issues as me but they'd like fall back on you know but with cinematography this lush and actors this good and like this kind of everything like you know how can you complain too much and i'm like you know i feel that because i love that this movie exists in a way Mm -hmm. i just wish that it were it were more and better of what it seems like it could be well i think that's indicative of our and I don't even want to say current review structure, but our review structure in general, right? It's people have to talk around a lot of very specific sure. details that they may have issues with. And so they're trying to give a general consensus and general broad overview instead of really having like a conversation about the film itself. And that's what's frustrating about reviews. And that's why I enjoy doing this podcast so much and listening to other podcasts that actually like treat you like you're a fucking adult and like will go see the thing that you want to go listen to someone talk about. You know, it's like, and, and it, it reminds me of, this is one of the few art forms where we have reviews like that. Um, music, books, uh, television. If you read a television recap <laughs> and you haven't seen that television episode, you're fucked. Like <laughs> that F, that episode recap, what do you think is doing? It's recapping the episode. It's, it's pointing to all these giant details. Music. It's like – if you listen or read a review on a on a piece of music or you know an album or something like that it's like and you didn't actually listen to the album you know but there's nothing to spoil right but they're not going to not not only talk about like 6 of the 12 tracks <laughs> you know it's just well, like it's so interesting it, it's, I, it's it's weird i did some tv recaps once once upon a time for a website that i won't name um you can find them they're out there somewhere and i got a note from the editor who was like you're reviewing these too much we really like just want to recap and i was like what the <laughs> fuck does that mean and he's like you know, like we just like there's there's apparently a certain type of person who just wants to like watch an episode of The Walking Dead and then be told what happened on The Walking Dead and maybe yep. have like connections and stuff pointed out to them. So Don't like go on YouTube because you can find out what happens in every ending and have them explained to you. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it was like, you know, what we really wanted was like, you know, when Rick like shoots the zombie you know, you should point out like another time when he maybe didn't shoot a zombie. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And I was like, so what does that do for you and the reader? And it's like, uh, well, you know, like, what, you, you, like you see like a person with a red backpack and it's like, let's look at all the other red backpacks. It's like, it's supposed to be trying to like make the serial nature of this episodic TV show like more apparent. Mm-hmm. Basically like those... Like, here's seven Easter eggs from, like, the newest episode of The Good Place. And yeah, it's like, yeah. don't forget that, like, three episodes ago, someone said, like, you're as dumb as a cranberry donut. And now, like, he's eating a cranberry donut. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's the weirdest. That, 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 That's... that sounds like it's something <laughs> what happened in that fucking show, though. That was so specific. The Good I Place. Back on NBC. It's really good yeah. still. Um, but yeah, and so I was like, so all of the stuff that I wrote about pacing and like camera angles and the acting, that was bad. And he was like, yeah. I was like, okay, great. <laughs> Next time I won't write 1,500 words about The Walking Dead, I'll just fucking write about what happened. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, and so that that sucks. Um, now the places like the AV Club and like Alan Seppenwall actually will like review mm-hmm. an episode, which is nice. But you can still find recaps out there because they just need someone to 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 write up a full recap and then be able to post it under. Did you catch this like shocking? connection to like previous episodes of the walking dead and then it's just like there are still goddamn zombies <laughs> um and that's a lo- roundabout way of saying like what we do here is we call i call it a movie review podcast and it is because up front we're just like this is what we like this is what we didn't and you should maybe see it or maybe don't but then when we get into the spoilers and stuff and sometimes honestly way before that we get into like real deep shit so it's much more of a discussion and an analysis than just a review. Like, so a lot of people, when they're writing a review, it feels like they really want to write an analysis. Yes. You know? Yes. And they're like struggling not to. And so it's hard because like when I, when you're, ana- an, 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 when you're analyzing something, shh, I know I fucked that up a lot. <laughs> when you're analyzing something, especially if it's, something that you generally enjoyed but that had certain parts that flustered and frustrated your understanding it's very easy to come off as sounding a lot more negative than you feel yes which is why every once in a while on this podcast i have to pause and say let me remind everyone i liked this movie (laughs) (laughs) um and so like yeah it's it's hard and it's you know even through this i've been trying to temper my frustrations with it but i'm not even sure that i'd in the end come down wholly positive but like it's still so worth checking out just because after the summer we've had like isn't it nice to just have a movie that takes some time to put spiders in a guy's mouth and give you a weird (laughs) impressionistic cannibalistic dream before entering the town of mayfield where everyone calls everything mayfield and then like you know just go in and find that final tracking shot like it's just there's something beautiful to the uneven, possibly narratively and thematically unfulfilling movie that is the Sisters Brothers. <laughs> well, that's that's what is almost fascinating. I, I like as well that this movie exists in the same way that, you know, like we I, – I don't know if we only, but let's say the internet gets a little bit hyperbolic with, you know, forget language like masterpiece, which drives me up a fucking wall, but more things like underrated and like instant cult hit and like the ways that we try to identify things that are going to have some legs. And it's, this film is interesting to me in in the same way as like a few others in that I, this year that I don't think that they're great, but I can absolutely see someone talking about this in five or 10 years, just being like, what a strange what's it that was, you know, <laughs> I, you know, a hybrid of all of these ideas that maybe didn't totally work, but you're glad it exists. And I mean, unfortunately, I mean, to tie that to its actual how it's doing, um, it seems unlikely that this is going to get a wide release at this point. Um, was it ever you know, like it, slated for that? I think they were this was kind of a uh, test run to see if it was going to go into uh, wider theaters. And I, I think it did pretty, uh, not mediocre, but pretty average. Just kind of um, lackluster. Yeah. Yeah. So Cause I, I think um, I was looking at the indie roles today and I think free solo and um, old man and the gun did well. 
yeah, free solo is just one of the highest averages of the year, I believe, for I a think doc. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mentioned that because it's interesting because I think that combination of low box office and you know the high critic score and some people who are like, what is you know what is this gem that has all of these huge actors, but you know mm-hmm. didn't get the reception is going to give this a longevity that is kind of uh, unexpected or might not have happened in other circumstances. Like if this was, you know, around award season or something like it, it comes at a very strange time. It is. It's the September, October divide is very weird. Yeah. Like, um, old man and the gun, I think is going a little wider this week. Yeah, um, a bunch of other stuff is getting released, like a Star is Born, uh, Venom, sure. of course, is getting released. Oh, boy. oh hell yeah! Speaking of awards contenders, oh, awards for best thing Tom Hardy said about a movie he was in, um, <laughs> claiming that all of his favorite parts got cut out. <laughs> the forty minutes, yeah. Jesus. So Venom, oh, seventy man. minutes long. <laughs> Tom Hardy is the best. <laughs> That was my, that's like the one thing when I was like, you know, this movie's a mess. I wonder if we'll ever hear what's going on with it. And then I was like, oh, right. Tom Hardy is in it. (laughs) Tom Hardy doesn't give a fuck about anything. He was even like, I don't know. Fury Road was fucking terrible to make. I'm surprised it's good. (laughs) Yeah. He had to like walk that back. He's like, maybe I came off too negative. It was a terrible shoot. I did hate every moment of it. I wasn't sure it was going to work, but it's really good. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, but that doesn't change the fact that during, I fucking hated it. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah. I can't remember now. I just, like, I don't know. I feel like I've come off pretty negative. Even though we, you know, we talked a lot about the good stuff in this <clears throat> and the things that it does that are interesting. So I just, I don't know. Like, you know, B minus. Go see it. I think that I think that you should go and form your own opinions, listeners at home. I don't know. I'm not sad I saw it. I, and like I said, I'm kind of looking forward to giving it another view. And I'm hoping that... You know what this reminds me of, actually? This reminds me a lot of my reaction to Phantom Thread. Well, hmm. Brian, it's on HBO. Damn it. You know, the guy whose password I was using, I think, has uh, stopped <laughs> subscribing to HBO. So, that sucks. Um, another great PTA movie starring Joaquin Phoenix in her advice is also on HBO again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I did. I did promise I would see that again. Didn't I? Um, it's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it is, it's a lot like those movies where I think maybe going in with a preconception and finding that flustered did something to me. But of course, like the, the problem is that usually I would say, all right, I'm going to give it six months. I'm going to watch it again. And then we can talk about it when I'm really certain of how I feel. But we don't have time for that because Venom's coming out on Friday and everyone's going to talk about Venom. And then by the time the Oscar season rolls around, no one's going to remember this movie existed. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be one of those cults. I'm telling you, it's going to be on a fucking listicle. It's going to be, it's going to be like, you know, uh, (laughs) movies that were underrated in 2018. Like here, here are the movies that are better than <laughs> A Star Is Born, which won the Oscar for everything. Hey, I am really excited for A Star Is Born. Don't I'm excited for A Star Is Born too, but I don't see that <laughs> flustering expectations and challenging narrative conventions in the way that this does. You know, like I am <laughs> certain. <there's> five of them. <laughs> yeah, I am certain that th- it's it's gonna be what it's gonna be, and like you know, I think I might still love it. 
But like, I just don't think it's going to be as interesting to look back on as the Sisters Brothers, a very singular, strange, quote unquote, revisionist Western. If they remake Titanic, it's probably not going to end with the boat being fine. <laughs> Wouldn't I don't know until like a hundred years from now when like the new Quentin Tarantino is like, I want to do Titanic, <laughs> but I want to do I want to make sure that they get it right this time. You know, Malik's Titanic would be pretty great, actually. <sighs> do you think that he would open it with someone speaking to the iceberg in a whispery voiceover? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Let's wrap this up. Just like just a a child in steerage, like as the water rises above them being like just talking wistfully about the concept of like floating and what it means to float. And how can something that was on the water become one with the water and then sink beneath the water? That's James Gray's Titanic. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably true. (laughs) All right. Let's wrap it up. Um, So, yeah, in general everyone think people should go and like at least check this movie out yeah yeah all right just making sure okay so that's it it looks really nice too i can't emphasize that enough yeah it's it was super beautiful i'm glad i saw it on the big screen in the dark with the gray hairs um good times so it's out now in limited release try to catch it uh hopefully it it has a lingering lingering power a staying power and uh, people will have the opportunity to do it. Next week, we're going to be talking about Venom. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. Um, yeah, so so here's the deal. Um, so my daughter's <laughs> going to Texas, so I'm going to have uh, some free time to go to more movies. And hopefully we'll be able to talk about more than one a week because... It's a busy season. So, uh, A Star is Born is coming out. Uh, the Old Man with a Gun is going to be expanding as well. We, um, we've got some other things that we want to talk about, including Venom, Michael. And <laughs> I am going to go to the theater alone with a flask of whiskey and watch Venom. Like, to just be prepared. Be prepared what? for me to live tweet that. Um, okay. <laughs> So in the next couple of weeks, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get out some classic episodes, talk more about what's in theaters. And uh, yeah, so look forward to that. Um, my vacation from fatherhood just means I can throw myself into all the other bullshit I choose to fill my life with. So before we go, uh, let me remind everyone to go to patreon.com slash the film stage show and give us your money. You become part of our Slack channel, talk with us offline, and of course, be entered into all of our raffles and movie the online streaming cinema check out movie you're able now to see michael mann's classic film manhunter for all you uh, hannibal heads out there who want to see how some other artists have done it for all you csi nuts who want to see <laughs> mr csi himself before Why? he joined csi <laughs> okay <laughs> I I tried to remember what dumb fake name I made up for him and I couldn't do it. And, uh, of course you can have a free 30 day trial on us by going to mubi.com slash film stage. So that is it for today. Gentlemen, let us tell the fine folks where we can be found between now and the next time that we grace their mobile devices. Let's start with Bill Graham. 
you can find me not watching Venom on Twitter at CableBFG. Although I'm, I might try and see it. I, I'm curious to see what kind of reviews. I've already heard it compared to Catwoman, so Oof. we'll if see. If there's um, God, if they still had second run theaters, that's a real second run theater kind of movie. Oh you no, no, no. I mean? they, they definitely have those over here. Oh, uh, I can't there's find. Yeah, there's definitely some dollar movie theaters that uh, my mom and aunt like to go visit, and I'm like, why, why would, why would y'all do that? I don't, I don't know. Because you go there, you um, get some four-day-old popcorn, you sit down, and you laugh at Venom. Did you I guess 40-day so. or four-day? Four-day. <laughs> Let's be realistic, 40. Michael. Jesus. <laughs> some um, antediluvian anyway. <laughs> popcorn. Uh, you can also find me on uh, – what the fuck? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, w- I was looking at Tom Hardy's bio – and uh, apparently he had a sequence that was deleted that he played some kind of robot in Star Wars The Last Jedi. So I was like, what? Oh, I feel uh, like I knew about that. Yeah, FN926, I guess, is who he played. Um, anyways, uh, you can also find me on the Slack channel. Uh, been a little busy this past few weeks, but uh, should be jumping in there. I see it keeps uh, it keeps on going though, even if I rolling. don't. So yeah, you're not as important good. as you thought you were. <laughs> That's how I felt when I was like, I haven't been in Slack for a week, and I was like, oh, yep, they've kept talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michael Snydell. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell. You can find me on Letterbox, where I am doing Hooptober for the first time. So I'm somehow gonna watch thirty horror films this month and also cover a film festival. It's not about and basketball. Also cover yeah, who? Regular assignments. Uh, Hooptober is thirty-three horror films in what is, the month of October. Why, what why is, is it called? Hoop? Have to do with anything? I, like, I thought uh, I thought Toby we were gonna, oh. oh, Toby Hooper, right? Yeah, I, I thought you were only gonna be watching his films though. But okay, I got no. You. It's it's a bunch of people. I think I posted my list on our Slack channel and on Twitter. So anyone, if anyone wants to follow along, almost everything is on streaming, as far as I know. Michael Snydell is going to be playing some hoops. (laughs) You do not want to see me play sports at all. (laughs) I run like a penguin. Wait, no, I 100% want to see this now. (laughs) Uh, If you're a listener of ours and you're in Chicago, please go find Michael Snydell and chase him (laughs) while filming it. I will pay you money. Not a lot, though. Um, yeah, I can be found uh, on Twitter, at Brian Jaron. My personal site is dead, but I'm trying to resurrect it, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, and, of course, you can find all of us at filmstage.com, where you can also find all these episodes. So check it out. And that is it. We will be back with another great review, commentary, analysis for you next week. Which will be first? Will it be the man, or the old man in the gun, or will it be a star is born, or will it be Venom? Tune in to find out. <laughs> the more you say it's not, the more likely it is. Okay. If right. you hadn't made such a big deal about not seeing Venom, I wouldn't be pushing for us to do Venom. I don't even have strong feelings. You guys have just mentioned it. <laughs> Michael, it's the, it's the cultural event of the summer. Slash, it's still summer, right? No, it's fall. Yeah. It's a cultural event of the fall. It's award season, baby. Venom by Ruben Fleischer. 
Anyway, uh, so one of those three movies will be up next, and then the others will follow. So, ladies and gentlemen, Giselle movie. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> and tune in next time. <laughs>